I'm super happy. Are you happy? Welcome to the BU Find Happy Podcast. Here you'll find tips and tricks to inspire you on your way to happiness, to live a courageous life of authenticity, and learn how to speak your truth with grace. I'm Michaela Johnson, and welcome to our podcast. amazing human on this earth plane. I am so grateful that you are here. Just wanted to take a second and say if you click like or hit subscribe, it helps this podcast continue. I want you to live the fullest expression of your experience in life and you can find so much more by visiting BUFindHappy.com. There you'll find Empowered, my motivational journal for women, links to all of the various books, and so much more. Thank you for being you. Hi, Bruce. Welcome to BU Find Happy. I am so excited to have you on today. We're going to talk about kindness. Um, you're, you're so cool. You've got like, you're, you're no, you're a pastor and a podcaster and a parent and a coach and you've just got all this crazy cool stuff going on. Can you share with the listeners a little bit about all that you do and how you got into this? Sure. Yeah. I'm going to tell my kids that somebody told me I was cool. Uh, they won't believe me, but, um, I, I try to tell them all the time, your dad's cool. I promise. And they're like, okay, whatever. Sure. Dad. Sure. Dad. Yeah. If you have to tell us, then you probably aren't. Uh, yeah. So I've, I'm, I'm born, born and raised. I'm a native Californian. I've been here, um, uh, all my life, Northern California and have, uh, had the honor and privilege of serving in a lot of different areas, mostly around social justice and positive spaces. Uh, in uh, I'm a Presbyterian minister, so part of the Presbyterian Church USA. I've been doing that for about 25 years. But along, alongside of that, I've worked with organizations and individuals looking at leadership and everything from technology and how to use it well to parenting uh, to organizational structures. Uh, and I try to do it all in a way that um, you know, I'm not an academic, I'm not super heady, but um, try to create meaningful spaces where movement actually takes place beyond just kind of the conversation. So I do a lot of that. I'm, I'm uh, half Filipino, half Chinese. My grandparents immigrated from uh, China and the Philippines and uh, also involved with a lot of social justice around racial reconciliation and the AAPI community. So I get to do a lot of different things. I'm, wow. I'm really so grateful. you said Filipino and Japanese? Yeah, Chinese. Yeah, Filipino, oh, Chinese. Chinese. Okay. Yep. 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 Wow. So I just have to ask, do you have a good lumpia recipe? Uh, my grandparents do, and which will you just have passed down from person to person. And my church, actually, every year they do a huge lumpia-making thing, and you just buy a bunch of it and oh then just gosh. freeze it all day. Yeah, there it's you go. It's like my dream. I freaking love lumpia. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, it's interesting that you're on the podcast today because I've actually been listening to Andy Stanley. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Sure, sure. Um, he's got the Your Move podcast, and uh, it, I'm listening to uh, the the series that what happy couples know nothing. Um, so it's been, it's been kind of fun. Um, I want to talk though, a little bit about, uh, your latest book in defense of kindness, why it matters, how it changes our lives and how it can save the world. Um, a big proponent of, of kindness here. It's a lot easier said than done sometimes, especially when you're being triggered or people are, 
you know, coming at you in a way that's less than kind. What, what are your thoughts? What, how, what inspired the book? Tell me about that. Sure. Yeah. You know, I think, um, one of the best endorsements I got was not in one of the official ones, but a friend of mine on social media says to me, uh, I don't want to read your book because it may make me behave differently. Huh. And, um, I'm like, yeah, it might, because for me, I think what has happened in the world is kindness. There's two things. One is we, we confuse kindness with being nice and avoiding conflict or not rocking the boat or just simply letting yourself be walked all over. We, that's one way we look at kindness. And the other way we, you know, we, we look at kindness is we set the bar really low. And that in many ways, I sort of hold, there's a whole chapter about how it's easy to be a good dad these days, right? You just have to show up and, pick up your kids every once in a while and everybody's like, gosh, what a great dad. And, but you know, uh, those who operate in the, the, the mother role, uh, you know, they're hauling, you know, my three kids and all this stuff. And, you know, they, they don't get the same kind of elevation of respect. I think we've done that to kindness in many ways. We have, we have dropped down that all we have to do to be kind sometimes is not be a jerk. And I feel like that that has devalued the transformative power of kindness, which for me is about understanding that every person across from you, no matter what you think about them, is a created and complex human being. And not only do I believe that, but then I act as if I believe it to be true, that the way that I, w I walk in the world and live in the world then values uh, the complexity of that person uh, uh, opposite me. And in no other time you know, than right now, across political division or theological division or ideological division is it is important for us to do that. And so I've been inspired by the politics of our country, by personal relationships, by all these things that I could decide that I'm just going to one-dimensionalize that person and cut them off, or I can figure out how do I call people on their actions, like I'm not just going to let anything go, but do so in a way that actually has potential for reconciliation or movement in the future. And that's when I think about kindness. I think about it as a, a, a virtue and a posture that actually moves society forward in a positive way. And so, um, but as you said, it's not easy. We got to actually choose to do it. Um, it's not just about wearing a t-shirt or putting a bumper sticker on. We actually have to wake up every morning and choose to be kind. So. Well, you know, um, as you're talking, I'm thinking, too, about how one of the ways that I can find um, some level of compassion for difficult people or people who are not being as kind to me is by just knowing that they're going through something that I can't see on the surface, you know, like that they've got some level of hurt inside of them that's creating this. But I'll tell you what, there are times where man, like my internet service provider, I just grandly dislike them. And I have a hard time finding an air of kindness when I have to call them because it's like the freaking thing never works. I'm always paying for it. And it's not their yeah. fault. It's not the person right. who's answering right. the phone's fault, but it's still like, I'm so agitated by the time I'm on the phone with them that I'm just kind of, um, how, how should I say, uh, you know, sassy or spicy <laughs> with my language, you know, I'm not like, hi, how's your day? I'm like, this is enough. I am exhausted. Like I've got a real snotty tone. You right. Know? Well, and I, I, you know, and I'm on those. I mean, this is part of a organization or companies are not people. They're made up of people. But, you know, so there's one thing to see a company as a complex organization or an organism. And it's another to see the person who's part of that system. I always find myself when I'm on those calls saying out loud, I, I know that this isn't completely your fault, but I need you to hear my concern. I mean, I, I actually say those things out loud so that I'm reminded that we're both human beings and we're both and I'm frustrated. They know I'm frustrated. They get dumped on all day. 
And it's not that, and again, it's not that we let the company or their responsibility off the hook at all. It's how do we do it in a way that doesn't dehumanize either one of us, right? Those of us that are on that end of being frustrated or those who are having to receive it or being paid to receive that. Like, how do we limit the dehumanization that happens? And I think that's, if we can do that, oh my gosh, in every interaction, Again, we're not. It's not about just avoiding conflict or letting people do whatever they want or walk over us. It's about acknowledging that we can be in disagreement without dehumanizing one another and stripping dignity away from the other person. So I actually say it out loud. I hear myself when I'm on those calls going, "I realize that you're receiving a lot, but you got to hear me." <laughs> so there you go. I I like that. I do. I actually really love that. Um. So. What about when parents show up in a way that's less than kind out of maybe exhaustion or frustration or whatever? What do you – how do you handle that one? Yeah, so I I do a whole chapter on forgiveness and apologies and what makes apologies really important and um, uh, powerful and transformative. And uh, the overall arching around apologies for me is – uh, when they become transactional, they're no longer genuine or they're no longer as meaningful or transformative. And so, but the hardest, I think the hardest thing to do is apologize to your children. I don't, you know, I don't know who's listening, but either if you have children or you've had children around you or you've watched parent, people, children, whatever your adjacency is to kids, you know, I have three and, um, it's difficult to apologize because you're, you're in power. You're supposed to know better. And you know that you're not perfect and you don't want your kids to know you're not perfect, but they know you're not perfect. And so I find myself actually when I am stressed and I take it out on my kids or my family, I apologize. And I don't expect them to even um, – I don't expect that to be transactional where, okay, now you can stop crying or now you can stop being frustrated with me or now you can stop being mad. But I just need them to know I realize that what I said or how I raised my voice or that that, that hurt you and I, I – I'm going to try to not do that again. And you take whatever time and energy you need to sit with that and come back to me later, whatever. But I just need you to know that I, I apologize to you. So I think when we do that with our kids, especially that having the courage, and I think it's courage to do that because it's such a vulnerable thing to do. But, oh, my gosh, can you imagine what we're teaching our children when we can say to them, even this person who in some mythical parent-child relationship is supposed to be perfect is not. And I'm going to acknowledge that. So in, I'm a better person because I can acknowledge that I'm not perfect. Right. And I, want, and I want you to be able to do that and model that with your friends in your community and with me as your parent. I mean, that it's powerful, but it's, it's so difficult to do because we do think parents, we think we're supposed to be perfect and our kids know we're not. So <laughs> the better we can live that out, the be the better. So how how do you apologize? Like how how do you circle back on something? Like what do you what do you say? Yeah, so I so I, I just think about the last time I I kind of snapped uh, at my kid and was a little teenagery back to them. You know, part of it is understanding relationships and life stages and just the ebbs and flow. I have uh, all of my. I, we have one kid left at home as a senior in high school this year, and so we'll be empty nesters. So we've we are at that stage of of their they're moving on to whatever's next in their young adult life and um i i've i've found that i actually need to give a little bit of moment so that i'm really able to understand that yes what i did either sometimes needs just to be let go 
or if I need to come back and correct this. And so I will walk. I, I'm just thinking about it. Just walk back in the room and said, hey, I just want to say that I overreacted in this. I'm really sorry about that. If that if that hurt you in any way. And um, and then I don't actually wait for a response. And this is a per, you know, this is a child to child. Every every child is different. Every parent is different. So we have to parent every child differently. And so, you know, one of my kids, I just need to say something and then I need to leave and give them room to think and con- contemplate. And then we'll connect back later. But I think for parents, it's our duty to take that first make that first gesture and to figure out how each of your kids um, or loved one in your family best will hear that and when. So it's a, there's a little bit of translation that needs to go on. So some need to hear right away. Others need, they need a little pause. But what it, can't, it can never be a transactional experience. It can't be, I apologize, so now you must do this. Because that's not really apology. That's a that's a leveraging of power, and um, trying to, to trying to 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 get abdication um, uh, from from something we've done. And that that's not what we're looking for when we apologize. We're looking for an acknowledgement for that other person to genuinely hear that we have wronged them, and we understand, and we're going to try to do better next time. I love that. Um, and you know, by modeling that, they do that as well. Oh yeah, I mean? yeah. I mean, anything we do, right? I mean, you know, if you have kids around you, you um, sometimes they learn new things and it blows your mind and it's amazing. And then, and then there are those moments where you're like, oh, I, I see where they got it. And, and, and for good and bad, right? You see behaviors. And I don't, I don't put blame on parents for everything that a child does. You know, most of a child is raised by people outside their home in, in many ways. And so, you know, I, I think that, but there's a lot that we learn from our, our family of origin, both positive and negative. And I want to fill that space as much as I can with positive um, things that they can take on um, to, the, to, to their lives as they move on. I love that too. Um, so tell me what you're working on right now. What's it like to be a pastor? How's that experience? <laughs> I, you know, I was even just listening um, about how, you know, the, you know, some of the beliefs in the Bible, you know, in Christianity are that women are to submit to them, to their men. But if you actually read, it talks a lot about how men are supposed to embrace their women in the way that Christ embraces them. So it's, it's interesting. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. Well, I come out of a fairly progressive denomination. So I come out of the Presbyterian Church USA and folks can Google that. And so we're, a, we, we are one of the more progressive denominations around marriage and LGBTQIA right affirmation and all that. So I, I, I pastor a church in Palo Alto, first Presbyterian Church of Palo Alto and uh, have been here for about two years. I pastored in San Francisco for about 30 years and started a church there. Um, I, I think the religious landscape right now is is fraught with um, a lot of misunderstanding. Um, I think there are a lot of different conflicting versions of Christianity out there and, and what Jesus was, who Jesus was and what Jesus taught. And that I think um, we have to engage people where they are. I, I find right now um, I love being a pastor because I, as I'm engaged in our community, I've only been in, in this area for a couple of years, but um, I'm engaged in in, civi- um, in the public square and around or- community organizations as well as my church. And so that connection allows us to be engaged in life beyond just our congregation. And I think that's an important thing right now is that folks understand that there are a variety of faith traditions, a variety of versions of Christianity out there. And we're all trying to work towards healing and wholeness in the world and do no harm. 
And I think that that's an important piece that we all have to recognize. But we get caught up in a lot of rhetorical arguments, and um, I disagree greatly with some of the public theologians out there, which is fine. Um, and I, so I think it's it's a very complex time, but I love it. I I was raised by a church that loved me and was active in the community. And I think the church has to remain active in the community. There is no separation between, for me, faith and politics. Those are intertwined because we're there's a difference between church and state, but not faith and politics. And we have to be engaged in the life of the world right now. And I think that that's, um, for, for a lot of folks, a, a difficult thing to do, but I, I think important for us all. Um, I so agree. <laughs> okay. And what I will say about the Bible stuff, too, um, I, you know, I, I, I have a seminary degree, and um, I always tell people that everybody proof texts with Bible because the Bible is so big that if I want to pull out one line, I can pretty much back up any position about anything. And so our job as, as people who are followers of the word is to take it really seriously so that we don't proof text just what we believe, but our beliefs come out of a deep study and understanding of the fullness of our scriptures. And so because I can always, any position I can take and say, oh, here's three lines or three words that will back up what I believe. And that's not that's not how we are to use scripture. And I think so that so the language around women and men, there's tons of stuff that you could. I mean, we justified slavery for years. Slaves obey your master. And if you just take that out. Right. That's a piece that gets used, has been used historically to oppress people. Well, that's not exactly how we wanted to think about it. And, you know, women submit like that's been used in negative ways forever. I mean, so. Well, you know, again, so when you brought that up, it's like just we got to take the fullness of Scripture. And that's what makes, I mean, my faith alive in the world is when you take the fullness of the text that we that we value. Yes. Little did I know I'd be talking about the Bible and church here today, too. I love it. Thank <laughs> what you for, would you like to talk about? Thank you about. for asking. You are... no, I'm, I, <laughs> yeah, I can talk about a lot of things. As, as uh, I tell my publisher and others, I'm a I'm a brander's nightmare because I have a lot of opinions about a lot of things. And and uh, I I do that intentionally because I refuse to be one dimensionalized. And I think that's one of the problems we have in the world is we are. We one-dimensionalize other people, and we allow ourselves to be one-dimensionalized. So if you were to follow me on Twitter or Instagram or any of those, I'm not just one thing. It's not just about social justice or church or this or that. It's a variety of things. If you invite me into your world, you're going to get everything from church. You're going to get social justice. You're going to get stuff around lately in San Jose, where near where I am, around gun violence. There's. Uh, you're also going to get pictures of my dog, my kids. Baseball games, soccer. I mean, you're going to get it all because we're all complex people. And if we could see that in each other, the world might be a little better place. We are very complex people. Um, I, I, I truly do like that, you know, we are unique in that way. I mean, I think if everybody was the same, the world would be awful, you know. Right. But we want everybody to be there. I think that's the problem is because we're not right. We all intellectually, right. intellectually, we know this. Like this is not. Oh, my gosh. Really? We're not all one dimensional. I mean, th we all intellectually <laughs> know this. Right. But the world is easier when we don't try to live into that. I mean, it, it's easier if I can just say every, all X believe this. I'm listening to a podcast right now called. Um, uh, oh, my gosh. Now I just. Can't remember what it's about uh, the Falwells and Liberty University, and there was a book written recently uh, by uh, a student who posed 
and went to Liberty to just spend a semester there. And he was expecting to find demonic people there. Now, I'm not a supporter of most of what Liberty stands for, but, you know, he thought that he was going to get there and everybody was going to be just these bigoted, like, everything was going to be awful. And what he discovered was people are just people. They they disagree greatly with some of the beliefs, but even, you know, in a place that has been, like, demonized, the people that are part of it are just as complex. And I think if we can, if we can cross the many lines that exist in our society into places and just acknowledge that that reality that we know is true, that folks are diverse and complex on the other side, man, again, how much better the world would be. (sighs) Um, And so how, how can people do that? Like how can they acknowledge the diversity? How, how is diversity something that could be acknowledged? Yeah. So I think this goes back to if we feel it's important now or it's pushing on us or it's challenging us, it's probably means that it's, it's, it's not been part of our habit and our lifestyle in the past. So the world and the United States are coming into some, you know, our, we've been undergoing racial, racial, um, a reckoning for a long time, but especially this year as we're, as we're just past the one year, um, uh, death and murder of George Floyd. This racial reconciliation, if, if we, if we choose things like being anti-racist or we want to be more kind or we want to, um, look at gender differently or we want to look at things that we know are pushing on us a little bit, it's probably because we haven't been forced to before, which means that it's not habitual. Which means that every morning I have to decide if I'm going to be a kind person. Like I, I think if you were to talk to my friends and community, they would say Bruce is a pretty kind person. Especially I just wrote a book on it. But you know we're not all what people would want us to say. So every morning it is, I have to decide: Am I going to be kind today? And and I, that's not like author speak, right? That is when I stand in line at the at, at my favorite coffee shop every morning. I try to get up every morning, take a walk, and I reward myself with a cup of coffee on the way back. I have to decide how I'm going to interact in the world. Am I going to rush in and not make eye contact and just grab my coffee because I paid them for the service? Or am I going to go in a little, feel a little bit like just take a breath and an exhale and walk in and either nod or say thank you or whatever, just to, to provide a moment of acknowledgement of humanity in that space? Like that's a choice I have to make. And that's a small choice, but I believe every interaction we have is either positive or negative. And so – that's exhausting to do all the time, but yet that's what we have to do in order for us to habitualize anything. So if we want to habitualize an understanding of diversity, when we see something happen, we have to check our initial reactions, to check the initial internal questions we ask ourselves. What is my reaction? When I see somebody on the street, what's my initial physical, mental, emotional reaction to what I see? And if I'm not comfortable with that, then I have to force myself next time to to rethink how I react. And I think that's how we begin to make a commitment to seeing diversity differently is by just acknowledging what we have inside of us that has held us back from doing that in the first place. And that's tiring. It's also, if you're in a community that's not very diverse, it's difficult to do. And so proximity is important, acknowledging that we carry uh, the, the, the prejudice of our communities often into spaces and that's everyone, but trying to make it habitual and making the choice to be different is what we all have to do. And, uh, if you're not forced into that sometimes, I think that's what we understand as privilege that if I don't have to think about this, 
then I'm not going to choose to think differently. So we have to choose to think differently because it's so easy for the world, the world to tell us that we don't have to. So I would just say, have the courage to challenge things that you've believed in the past and really have the courage to change reaction and questions and mindset. Otherwise we're just going to continue to be down this road. Um, and, and that's not what we want. We want to find more transformative healing places and whole places in the world. I love it. How can people get a hold of you, Bruce? How can they learn uh, about what you got? Yeah. Going? So uh, my my last name is Reyes Hyphen Chow. I'm the only one in the world. So when people tell me they can't find me, I always say, "Well, you didn't look that hard." Uh, so if you were to Google Reyes Hyphen Chow, you can find. Me. But I'm on Instagram, Twitter, all the all the socials at at b Reyes Chow, and that's the best way to find me. Um, you can search up for my books and all those kind of things, and all and all the places, uh, the podcasts, uh, all that. But if you just look up Reyes Hyphen Chow or be Reyes Chow on all the socials. That's where you can find me and connect with me. Wow. This was awesome. Thank you so much. And um, as always, we include this in the show notes, but thank you, Bruce, so much for coming on today. It was great to talk about the lovely idea of being kinder. Great. Thank you for having me. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. This has been a BU Find Happy podcast. For more inspiration, check out the links.